0: There's not going to be another you in this life, in the next life, whenever you are so unique. Like, no, even if someone looks like you, they don't have the same experiences as you. They don't have the same knowledge as you. They don't have the same, you know, like it's, you're just super unique. And I think once you realize that, you just need to understand the mindset of people need me. People need this. Like they need this type of person. There's so many people out there who who are just looking for her craving for that representation.
1: Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode on the Ambitious Podcast. My name is Julius Yakovs, the host of the Ambitious Podcast. I am an actor, model, just all-around creative. I love photography. I love to write. I love weird voices, and that's who I am essentially an I bring forth to you, wow, this is like a hot mess of an intro, but this is what you get when you tune into my episodes. And I'm very proud of my hot messness. This podcast was made specifically for other creatives, people who want to learn, who want to grow, who want to be motivated and empowered. I bring on my friends like today, I bring on interviews of people within the industry who are working inside their craft to give you more of an overview on what it's like to live the artist's lifestyle. I share my stories. I share their stories. I share all my tips and tricks and all my burning questions that I have for guests that are doing well as well. And I just want to be able to share and learn and grow together. I want to build a safe community to be able to learn, a lot of the things that I felt I didn't have and didn't know when I first moved to New York City across America to chase after my dreams. So today is a very special day because I get to bring you my friend Angela Hilario. Angela is a published author of two books, an actor, and the founder of the media company Hollis House, who also is currently miss world america's hawaii 2020. super exciting she has so many titles to her name but aside from that she's had so many great experiences but also there's so much more to angela especially considering her story. She started out as a school teacher and became this beautiful, wonderful creative, and I have met her, and I'm so thankful to have her in my life. She is a light, she is a gem, and I know y'all are gonna get some value from this. I'm not going to ramble on for too much longer. I also wanna briefly note, if you're looking for the ambitious podcast, you stumbled across us somehow one way or another, this is your first time, welcome so happy to have you. If you're looking for our community, we are on Facebook as The Ambitious Podcast and The Ambitious Podcast on Instagram. Let's get connected, shall we? And without further ado, I would like to introduce to you my friend, Angela. So welcome, Angela, to The Ambitious Podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. We finally got together. I feel like it's then what like we've tried to reschedule like four or five times trying to get yeah
0: I think that happens with every like project that we've done together so far but when it happens it's magic
1: (laughs) yes I agree well it's the creative lifestyle too I feel like everybody just has so many things going on there's Mm -hmm. bound to be something that's rescheduled but I'm so happy that you're here thank you for having me yeah I wanted to like jump right into it just because you have a lot. <laughs> you are a, I, I mean, I'm telling you, but you can confirm or not. I just see you as like a very multi-dimensional creator. You carry a lot of titles and I'd love to touch on everything that you do. So tell us a little bit about what began your journey down a creative path versus a more traditional and what are those paths?
0: I think it all starts when I was a kid. I've always wanted to write. Actually, I never thought of it like I want to write. It's. It was sort of like, I am writing and this is what I do. I I used to think that everyone was a writer and everyone wanted to be writing. And then when I grew up, it's obviously like, there are people who don't even read. I'm like, what? (laughs) But (laughs) anyways, yeah. Um, I always started as writing. That was my, that's my number one thing. I never really um, thought that I could make money as a writer. So I always had that like mindset, like I can be writing, but also I need to be doing something else. That something else was always changing constantly throughout college and stuff like that. It's literally like the last year of college, I decided to take an acting theater class just for like an easy A. I was tired of writing papers. I just wanted to like (laughs) mess around. And then it turns out that I absolutely loved it. But then there's also that thing in the back of my mind, like, oh, there aren't really... That many Asian actresses in Hollywood. That's also something that can't make me money. So (laughs) I had another passion that wasn't gonna make me money in my head. Mm -hmm. So I decided to do um, special education, which I love. I, I became a classroom teacher for like two years. And then, really, during that time, it was like a struggle, like an internal struggle that I had with like, should I continue being a classroom teacher where like yeah I'm getting paid well I have great benefits but I'm not I don't have time to write I don't have time to act I don't have time to do any of these things so I was constantly constantly just like going back and forth like should I continue should I not and then finally, like I just hit a breaking point and was like, yeah, I, I need to do what I need to do now that I'm young and I still have the opportunity to, to do multiple things. So I left teaching. I quit like the way I quit was so dramatic. Too. <laughs> like I like left in the middle of October. And <laughs> I just packed my bags and then like. The next day I called my assistant principal and I was like hey I'm not I'm not coming back <laughs> oh but God. I had I had I had told them like I had told them that I was gonna leave in January like after Christmas break but the the school that I worked in was just super toxic like a super toxic work environment that I just had enough mm-hmm. so I literally left like on a whim and I was like crying and stuff it was super dramatic but um like I the only reason why I stayed is because I really loved my students. But other than that, I was just like, nah, like I can't, I can't be here.
1: I've never personally had to make a big leap like that going from teaching to jumping into a more creative path and route and being able to continue to further that. Did you have any doubts in your mind when you did leave that space? Because it seems like you did have in your head at that time too, that you were like, oh, well, this doesn't make money. And I feel like those things still come back in the back of our minds. Was there doubt when you did leave? I
0: actually, when I left, I just knew that for my own like mental sake, it was, it was what I needed to do. Like during those like last few weeks where I was teaching, I was not eating, I was not sleeping. The only thing that I did know is that I needed to leave. I didn't know if I was gonna go back to being a classroom teacher. But I just knew I I needed to leave that certain school. I actually, at that time, I wanted to be a flight attendant. I was like applying for like these flight attendant jobs. I thought of traveling. I thought of applying to teach in Korea. Like I was just all over the place. That's sort of like a habit of mine too. Like I know what I want to do, but I always go around it. I avoid what I want to do, even though deep down I'm like, I know this is what I want to do, but I sort of hold myself back. Yeah, there was a lot of doubts, but um, thankfully my parents were really supportive. I had savings, so I had like a couple of months where I could just relax and just catch my breath a little bit. I sort of had this like trust um, that everything was going to work out, but I still had doubts, but I just knew like I needed to leave. Like that was just the truth in my mind, like I needed to leave, so. Well,
1: and definitely it's one of those things I feel like where you get to a certain point and it's almost as if life is kind of like pushing you towards your next chapter. And if that means you're going through all of these things to get you out of that space, it's gonna be thrown at you until you get back yeah. into the right path that you're going down. You're doing a lot. You became
0: a published author of two books. Yeah, um, it's two. The second one, I am, I am actually redirecting to another pen name. Mm-hmm. So under my real name, is, it's just one for now, but I'm starting a new pen name because I found out that um, for writing, like my writing journey is completely trial and error, like with publishing and everything, I'm trying this, and oh, it doesn't work. So I have to try a new thing. So with writing and publishing, I figure that it's a lot more—it's um, financially more smarter to to focus on a certain brand or a certain genre for each name. So mm-hmm. under my pen name, that's like the romance. So everything I'm writing, romance, is going to be under that pen name. Mm-hmm. And then my name—I don't know <laughs> what my brand is, like for <laughs> my actual name. But it's a young adult novel under my name. And um, it's called Kaleidoscope's Light. And that book took me 10 years to, to write. Like I wow. started the first draft when I was 13. No, Yeah, like right before I entered high school. And then it just evolved as I grew older into what it is now. Like I added elements of like growing up and stuff like that. So I really wanted it to be out there because I felt like that was the book that really defined me in a way that I wanted it to be like that's my debut novel Mm
1: -hmm. you know so
0: I sent it to agents and they all rejected me all the agents in the world rejected me so I decided to write something else but that book was sort of always on the back of my mind like I really love this book I love the characters I love the stories so I decided to just self-publish it and then later as I like thought more about my writing goals I decided that oh, it'd be easier to start my own publishing company. And then that publishing company turned into something else too, with like, it's now it's like a production company also. And uh-huh. we also do podcasts and stuff. And now I'm like, really like making it into just a media company to just cover everything. So nothing that I've done is like planned from day one, like this is what I'm going to do. And like, I love to do it. It's more of like, I'm just on this path. And then like, oh, this person is giving me this idea. And this like, so it's like building a blocks. It's like building blocks, really. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and you're saying yes to a lot of things that are being put into your life or ideas that you have, which not a lot of people do. A lot of people will get an idea and Mm -hmm. they'll never try and pursue that. And that's something that I totally value in you as an artist and a creator, just yourself. I would love to know... Because, okay, most people who write books, like myself included, because I've always wanted to write a book, can barely finish a book, just one. And you've finished two now. So I'd love to know what your process was within creating those stories. How did they come about? And was there any routines that you followed either strictly or loosely to finish your book? With each
0: book, it's different because each book brings out a different part of you and you you obviously grow in your craft so you you adapt different exercises and methods with my first book like as i've mentioned it took me 10 years <laughs> to to write but it took me 10 years to form a manuscript that was legible <laughs> you know like yeah. that was like oh I, I this makes sense you know so one thing i would say is that writing is really rewriting the first draft is never Never, even Tolstoy, even J.K. Rowling, whoever, Stephen King, no one's first draft is legible or is going to be good. It's really in the revisions. I try to to do like a daily word count, like say if I'm like really pressed to like finish a book by a certain time, I would say, okay, I would write 1,000 words a day or I'll write this amount of words a day. If I'm stuck, I would try to go back because I feel like That means, it's sort of like you have your brain and then you have your writer's brain. Mm -hmm. And your writer's brain knows everything. And your writer's brain will let you know in a way to tell your brain, hey, something is wrong. Mm -hmm. So I found that whenever I have a writer's block, it's because deep down I know that I've made a mistake or I've made the wrong choice in my manuscript. So I have to go back. There's a part where I have to like erase or delete and then, then I'm like, oh, okay, it didn't work because... This just was not a good idea <laughs> to do. Okay. Outlining also helps just having it visualize, the the skeleton of the story visualized to see where you should go, where you could go. Rewriting and rewriting, revising, revising. Um, you have to sometimes take a step back and take a break from your manuscript. So, so when you do go back to it, you see it with fresh eyes, you know. But um, like I feel like my main motivator is the fact that I have so many ideas that I'm like, if I really delay, then I'm not gonna be able to get to those other ideas and everything mm. will be backlogged and stuff. So it's really like it's kind of like I'm rushing myself, but also it's it's just to get me to finish it. Because I, I realize that the reason why we take so long is because we want it to be perfect. But what I realized is that even my books that are published, it's never going to be finished in your eyes, but it's always going to be, there's going to be a point where it's enough. There's this quote from this poet, I forgot who, but the poet said that poems are never finished, they're just abandoned. So as a writer, you just have to discern when is the right time for me to abandon this project, abandon, like quote unquote, abandon. Um, because it's really like, you can always go back to your books and even the authors who are published now, they, they can, they'll all say that if I read my books over again, I'm going to take a red pen. I'm going to like, take this out, do this. Like, why did I do that? And then, you know, so that's why I think as a writer, you just have to have this instinct or you have to trust your gut and say, okay, this is enough. And even
1: just being an actor from an actor's perspective, because I'm not a published author, like I love work. I hear those stories all the time from authors too. But even getting to the day where you're about to perform, and you've experienced this too, you never really feel 100% ready. Mm -hmm. There's always something that you feel like you could work on, but at the end of the day, it still impacts people too. It still makes a difference. It's still, in one way or another, your art is making your difference by simply being put out there. Within the process of creating your stories, how long did it take you to finish your second book? So the first one was 10 years, the second one was Mm -hmm. about
0: how long? Um the second one actually was about like two months. Mm. Okay. <laughs> I, I started it off as like a joke, sort of like a fan fiction in a way for my one of my good friends. So she loves the actor Henry Cavill. I always like just joke around with her, like, oh we should go to like Jimmy Fallon when he's like on the talk show and then we can see him outside and have his autograph. And she's like, No, I don't want to meet him as a fan. I wanna meet him as just like a woman, you know? <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, Okay, and then I just started writing like her like literally her the the character in the book is named diana and she her my friend's name is diana i just literally wrote like oh this is what happens if you meet him and da, 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 da. and then i just got i got carried away with it <laughs> like i yeah. just uh, forgot about her and i got carried away with the story and then i was like oh i can publish this and i found a, a good cover and then i just i literally just sent it out like within two weeks after finishing it which mm-hmm. i don't recommend because there's so like it's in revision now because there was just so many mistakes but um mm-hmm. That was when I realized that romance is such an in-demand market. I like that is my best selling book. I didn't do anything in terms of promotion wise. I literally just hit publish and then people found it. And then people rated it and they loved it. And I reached the top ten romances and on Kobo and I don't know. And I saw my book next to Crazy Rich Agents. I was like, what is this? That's this is so, so cool. crazy. Like, yeah like that's just another example of how I just fall into things like I never really plan out anything but usually like the ones that you don't plan end up to be like the biggest blessings you know
1: Oh, yeah. And the ones that you think are going to be like the big hit, never as much as you think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Funny how life works that way. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to tell my audience about Hollis House.
0: Yeah, Hollis House originally started as my publishing company where originally I just planned on publishing my books either under my name or under pen names. Um, And that was it. Like, I wasn't gonna make a big deal out of it. It was just gonna be there. But then a friend of mine, she approached me and she heard about my publishing company. And she said, "Oh, like, my grandfather passed away recently. So I wanted to write a picture book about him. And originally, I I wasn't planning on publishing other people's books, because I feel like that's just a huge responsibility. Mm. And I I just didn't feel like I could live up to it. But I heard her story and, and her concept, and I really liked it. So I just said, okay, like, why not? Like, why not just try with this book? And then it just so happens that um, other authors are really, like, looking to find someone to help them publish their books. So I signed two other authors. So now I have three authors in addition to myself. Now I can, with the lessons that I've learned through self-publishing, I could probably help people publish their own books and send out stories that I believe in too, Mm -hmm. which is stories of people who are underrepresented, um, diverse voices, own voices. So that just added to the mission. And then of course I love acting and I've written some screenplays and I have a friend from college who I sent my screenplays to for feedback. He always says, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But then I sent him a script for a feature film that was unfinished. It, was, it did not make sense because there were so many holes in it. But that was the only one he was like, I love it. And I was like, oh, you love it? Like, what is the first time in history that you've loved something that I've written? <laughs> so that is now Quarantine Actually, which is our feature film that we are doing. And then I decided, well, I have my own company. Why not just put it under that company's name? So now it's like a production company. And with the podcast, we have a podcast, literally my friend who lives in LA, his name is KP. He invited me to be a guest on his podcast. And then I don't know how it happened, but I ended up getting the audio file. So I was like, oh, why don't I just edit this? And why don't I just like do something? And then I decided, oh, like KP, do you want to start a podcast? Like we can call it Cuento Cuento, which is um, story in Tagalog. Now I'm like, okay. Now we're adding an audio section to ah. Hollis House. So I just love that it's, it's really growing into something that I like, not only can have like creative control over, but something that I can use to help with my mission, which is really inclusion. Like That is my number one goal in life, is to have people feel like they're seen mm. and that they matter. I'm just so happy that I can like, merge my love for creativity and art with my mission of inclusion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think those people too, they need a light because I feel like in entertainment industries, just generally, it's a very one size fits all. Like you have to be this one way you have to be, you know, whatever, like small or tall or whatever the standards are for every area. There's a pressure to be one type of person when the entire world is completely different. Like we look around and everybody's so different and there's yeah. just certain standards that don't need to be there. It's, it's important. It's important to share those types of stories for anyone who wants to get their book published, who feels undervalued or underappreciated for what they created. Cause you mentioned before you sent your first book out to plenty of publishing companies and publishers mm-hmm with feedback and obviously it didn't get published through those programs so what would you say to that person that is in your shoes as you were at that time
0: for those of you who don't know um, if you want to be traditionally published you would first need an agent and in order to get an agent you need to write a query letter and a query letter is basically one page you trying to sell your book you open up with a hook to get them interested and to get them interested you need to do research on what they're interested in so you can mention hey i read this article and you mentioned that you love dragons so here's my book about dragons and then you give a synopsis and then you basically have to sell you have to catch their attention in that one page and then you might not hear from anyone if you don't hear back in six weeks that means i don't want your your book and then after, if you do get an agent, that agent would work with you on your book and then you would have to find an editor. And usually after signing with your editor, editor it would take another two years until you see your book. But if you want to do independent publishing, which is what I'm doing, um, you set the time when you want to publish it. It's a lot more creative freedom, but it's also the fact that everything is on you now, even the marketing. So if someone was in my position, I guess you just have to ask yourself, what do you want as an author? If you are going to self-publish your book, and then you want to change to traditional publishing, they will look at your sale records for that self-publishing book. And if it's not high, if it's not good, then they might not even consider your book, even if they like it, because you have this history already. But in A rare case, if you self-publish a book and it becomes popular, these agents will come to you. They'll be like, hey, I really want to represent you. I love your work. And then you can probably get an agent. There are a lot of authors who that has happened. They're what you call a hybrid author, which is someone who traditionally publishes and self-publishes. So yeah, like you just have to think about what you want as an author and what your goals are. That is something that you have to consider there are a lot of ways that you can publish there's not just one set way well and it sounds like there's a lot of
1: different opportunities and different ways to go about it like you mentioned Mm -hmm. because in life it seems like everybody says there's kind of like one way to do things I don't know like I give the example all the time of like everybody's like go to school then go to college then get a job but life doesn't always go
0: one way or the other. I I think that can just be applied to anything. Like even if you want to be a doctor, like I I have one of my best friends um, wants to be a doctor and you would think that that's a very prescribed way of, of going about it. Like you go to school, you apply to medical school, then you do your residency and then you're a doctor but for her, it's a different route. Like she graduated from college, but now she's doing research. And then now she's thinking of applying to medical school. And then she's thinking of doing like fellowships in different countries. So it's like, even, even the most prescribed and directed path can have multiple ways of going about it. Like there's Mm -hmm. no, don't limit yourself to thinking like, I have to do this in order to become this. Like, you just never know what can be your, your leaping pad. Is that a word? Is that a phrase? Like <laughs> your jumping trust. start, you know? <laughs> like your launch pad. There you go, your launch pad. You don't know what is gonna really make or break you, your career, you know?
1: Another one of your art forms is pageantry. And <laughs> you recently got the holding title of Miss Hawaii 2020. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What is one thing that a lot of people don't know about pageantry that you had to learn by doing?
0: Um, Well, for one thing, it's not – none of these girls, even the most beautiful girl that you can think of, rolled out of bed and they became who they are (laughs) (laughs) like it's it's there's so much work behind the scenes like so much work and it's another thing where um, it forces you to rise up to the occasion you can't do this with any insecurity in your mind like even if you're not perfect which nobody is you cannot have that in your mind because people can read that read it when you're on stage people can feel oh is that girl confident or is she like this it, it reminds me of when I was taking like acting for the camera classes one of my teachers told me like you don't have to do a lot because the camera picks up every little thing so you don't have to make your face like all scrunched up if you want to look angry you know you can literally like just twitch an eyebrow or something and people will catch it. And I think that's the same with pageants in the sense where whatever is in your mind, people can catch it. Is this girl really loving herself, as she says? Is this girl really embracing herself? Is she really confident? Because that's really, that's the it factor. And that's something that I've learned because this is my third pageant. I learned that literally like last week because I worked (laughs) with um, a coach and I absolutely adore her. Her name is Luciera. Um, You might have seen her, like, co-hosting the Miss Universe pageants. She is, like, fierce. So I, like, opened up to her. I expressed her, you know, this is my third pageant. And my other previous two pageants, I always go with the mindset of, I don't have the body that they're looking for. Like, I'm not a size zero. I'm not a size two or whatever. And she's like, there's only two ways to go about that. One is to change it. Or two, it's to... Just accept it and love it because you, as the title holder, as the winner, you cannot go up to a young girl and tell that young girl, you are perfect just the way you are if you yourself don't believe that about yourself. Mm. You cannot preach you are enough or you are confident, you're beautiful just since the way you are if you don't believe that yourself. You offer more than you think. So She gave the example of, because she's a Black woman, so she gave an example of, what if I went to a job interview? for a company that had no Black employees, would I be like, oh, I hope they don't notice I'm, I'm Black? <laughs> like, she's like, no. You would go up to them and you say, you need me. You need me as a representative. Like, yes. you need my input. You need my voice. And she said, that's the same for you. You need some, like, you are someone who has a body that many girls have. And you need to go up to them and say, you need me to be your representative. You need me for those girls who need to see someone who looks like them mm-hmm. so that just like blew my mind like it's so simple a lot of people have told me the same thing but in a different way but the way she she laid it out was just like yeah like that makes sense like I need to embrace this I need to not hide and like say oh I hope they don't notice this yeah. like this and, you know you're like no this is who I am and you need me you need me to represent this brand because it's literally just like a job interview and that just blew my whole world so like yeah
1: oh, yeah well but yeah. how do you how do you embrace all that how do you embrace loving yourself and confidence and looking past all the negativity and hate because I know now you're starting to build another platform and there's people that don't know you, that don't know your heart, or that see you and they don't say the nicest things. like That's
0: mm-hmm. very
1: normal across social media. How
0: mm-hmm.
1: do you look past that and see what is beautiful and perfect that resides inside you?
0: It's really just realizing that there's not going to be another you in this life, and the next life, whenever you are so unique like no even if someone looks like you they don't have the same experiences as you they don't have the same knowledge as you they don't have the same you know like it's you're just super unique and I think once you realize that you just need to understand the mindset of people need me people need this like they need this type of person there's so many people out there who are just looking for her craving for that representation Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: um yeah I think in pageants in particular like they still have a long way to go in terms of progression and I think the film industry is a little bit more progressive than the pageant world even if the the film industry is not as progressive as we want Mm -hmm. it's still ahead of pageants it's a it's another thing where I'm just like you know like what more can I do like (laughs) if I if if they don't accept me, like, I literally can't do anything about it. I don't want to be a slave to their opinion. I don't want to be like, oh, now do you like me? Now? Like, no, like, there's literally no time for that. You, You know, there's only so much that you can do. Well, and not everybody's gonna love
1: you. My mom always mm-hmm. used to tell me that when I was growing up is I was yeah. like, oh, well, like this girl doesn't like me or like, I want them to be my friends. My mom's like, not everybody needs to like you. Like, yeah, even if you do everything right and you're like an angel sent down from the <laughs> heavens, like someone is not going to like you even mm-hmm. for your positivity or for your optimism or even mm-hmm. just doing well in your craft and wherever that comes from
0: or stems from, from them. I think too, like now that I'm realizing it, even your own friends are just, I, it's like, it baffles me. That's why I'm like, people never cease to amaze me. Like even your own friends who you think support you, everyone has their own insecurities, I think. And that's just gonna come out whether, regardless of what you do. So I feel like you just have to realize that you don't have control over people's experiences over their insecurities, you know, so... You just have to accept them as dealing with whatever they're dealing with, and then you just stay on your own course. Not everyone—you're not a hundred-dollar bill. <laughs> not yeah. everyone is going to like you, you know. So. Yeah, you're not an avocado. Yeah, Obviously, you're not. Avocados, I love avocados. Okay, <laughs> then you're not an avocado. <laughs> yeah, you're not an avocado.
1: <laughs> what do you think needs to be more progressed in the pageantry industry in order to be able to start being more inclusive?
0: They should take a step forward and not just having participants who are diverse. Like a lot of the times they're like, oh, look, we have this girl participating in a pageant. We're so diverse, but that girl will never have a chance of winning because yeah. of the of the system that they play. So I think whenever we want change, it takes the majority. And the majority in the case of the pageants are the fans. Mm. So I think the fans, the people who are diehard pageant heads i don't know what you call pageant people (laughs) but like the ones who like follow every girl on instagram who's in a pageant or who are like really adept in pageantry they need to start to say i want someone who looks like this i want someone who represents this and once that's in demand people are going to catch on to that Mm -hmm. i think that's also what happens in the film industry too like with crazy rich asians like Mm -hmm. that Because there was such a demand and people bought tickets and stuff. Now they're like, oh, we can, we should make more stories like this. Because the people at the top, they operate by money. Like that's the way they see it. Is this going to make me money? So if they see that there is a demand for a woman who is with a different ethnic ethnic background, who's of a different size. If they see there are people who, there see sponsors who want to see this type of woman, they're going to pick that woman. There's nothing, mm-hmm. they, they have nothing against that woman. They just want to see who's going to make me the most money. I think that also happens with Victoria's Secret. Like that's a really huge example. They're going bankrupt because they right. don't, they're not inclusive. And right. Rihanna's brand Fenty, they, she includes everybody and in people are buying her stuff. So now you see Victoria's Secret, if you look at their Instagram, now they're including women of plus sizes or whatever you want to call it. Like they're including women of color. Like it's really just business. So it starts with the demand. As a pageant person, as a fan, as a sponsor, you need to set the standard. You need to say, I want to see someone who looks like this or I want to see someone who represents this. And the people at the top will respond to that. You should invest your money in things you believe in. That also comes with like veganism too. Like there weren't any of these like impossible burgers or all these different types of plant milks. So but because people right. are buying these things, companies are responding to that. Like, oh, this is a good way for me to make more money because it's mm-hmm. more in demand. So that's mm-hmm. why these options are happening. So it's really like you, you really don't know the power of your dollar. And it really goes a long way. So I really think it begins with fans. Well,
1: now, Miss Angela, (laughs) you are also currently putting together a film Mm -hmm. that you have written, are featuring in, and directing. (laughs) So I'd love for you to talk about the project. Again, how did it develop besides um, you writing the story and sharing it with your friend? But what made you come up with that idea? Were you just sitting on
0: your couch one day or like what, what happened? It literally happened like that. <laughs> I was literally, oh, really? I think, um, I was just going through Instagram and then I just saw uh, like all these people making, um, stuff about quarantine as you do, like, what else can you, can you write when you're living in pandemic? And originally, I thought of it being entirely on Zoom. And my friend is super (laughs) anti-Zoom. He hates Zoom. And he's like, no, like, if you want to make like exterior scenes, like I will shoot it. I don't mind being outside. This was in um, like the end of May. I really did not want to go outside at that point. So I'm like, okay, you'll be the exterior director and I'll be the virtual director. And and because of him agreeing to direct outside, it sort of allowed me more space in terms of writing and creating these short segments. Like, oh, like, they, they can be outside. So when I wrote it, I, I really had the the mindset of this is going to be filmed during a pandemic. So there can be more than 10 people at a time. It can be a, a crowd. There can be no crowds in this film. So... Mm-hmm. That was another challenge, like, adjusting the story to fit how it's going to be filmed. Once New York hit phase four, everything became more relaxed. I felt like, okay, like, I can be the director. Like, I don't mind being outside with a mask. I adjusted the scripts. I added more outside segments. I had another friend who said that she does producing. So she came on board and when she came on board, that was really when the film had a momentum in a way because she was really like, she knew what she was doing. She was really on top of things. And then, yeah, we got the cast and then now we're here (laughs) filming. (laughs) Well, and now that you've started
1: filming, I know when I was taking a film study class in college, I couldn't watch movies like normally again. Mm -hmm. Like I always was thinking about like, oh, the camera angles and why Mm -hmm. the director zoomed into this person. And so was there anything that has changed in your perspective while creating this film? Because this is your first film that you've produced. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So was there anything that like you've learned throughout this process or that you see differently now that you watch films and you're like oh like i know this or
0: that i i don't have much film experience i mostly have done theater so literally like my friends had to spell out like what the crew was for my friend was like oh you need a dp i'm like what's a dp and he's like director or photographer i'm like oh like what is that (laughs) what do they do so literally like my friends had to spell out literally like this is what you need this person to do this and you need it. and I'm like oh okay once filming started and they asked me okay what angle you want to choose I'm like oh damn I haven't <laughs> <laughs> like literally like I'm I'm such a novice my point is I know nothing so I'm literally learning as I go and now that I'm thinking of like camera angles and stuff I'm like watching all these movies that are similar to the tone of minds and then with like color grading like color is just so important to me like I feel like color really sets the tone of the whole movie so I'm like oh does this like we're trying to find an editor and we're like oh do you know color grading like that's like my first question like do you know color grading (laughs) it definitely has changed the way that I've I watch movies I I I now read the credits I'm like oh what do they have on their crew like obviously we can't have a hundred people on our crew but like like oh what do we need like You know, so um, it's definitely opened me up to filmmaking. I also have to understand that this is a leadership role. I realized like, it's okay to not be nice all the time. Like, of course be respectful. It's a combination of being open to collaboration, but also be like, no, like my foot is firm, like you me to do this. It's really unexpected. I didn't really, when I thought of 2020, I didn't think that, oh, I'm going to be directing a movie <laughs> at the end of this year. Yeah. Like directing is a lot. And um, now I'm just like, I don't know if I want to do this again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, but yeah. you're experiencing it and you're getting to yeah. know that too. I feel like a lot of people never give themselves the chance to even experience something. Yeah. which Because then you know if you like it or not, or if it's for mm-hmm. you or not, but mm-hmm. you've also got that experience under your belt. I know that there's a lot of people who suffer with imposter syndrome. It in and of itself is kind of like a passion stopper or kind of like, I don't know, like a roadblock to creativity. Have you ever felt like you were not qualified or equipped enough to start like the processes of all of your art forms like Hollis House or your pageants or doing this film? Like I know I've seen in a movie before, I don't remember which one, but this girl has never done anything and he looks at her and he's like, how do you have the audacity to think you could do this? (laughs) So like, I guess that's my question. Like,
0: how do you have the audacity to think that you could do all these things when you think of okay what would what would then make me qualified if you if you approach that in a different way like okay i don't feel qualified so what would what would what do you need to do to feel qualified and i think the answer is always something that's like okay but that's not really necessary you have to figure out what's good for you and what you do need but also recognize that you know you're never going to be ready for anything you're never gonna feel 100% ready. And if you don't, then you have to ask yourself, well, what would make me feel ready? And is that really necessary for me to do? Is it necessary for me to apply to Yale School of Drama before I become an actor? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like, do other actors? Did all actors that you see have, like, graduated from Yale School of Drama? No, like, they, everyone has their own path. It's a lot of introspection, a lot of reflection.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I would love to give you the opportunity before we close to just say anything that has been pressed on your heart that you want to say, um, anything that you want to share or anything
0: that we missed. Uh, Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of people who are listening are creatives. So I would say, I think it's very important to stick with your creative vision because your creative vision comes from your individuality. And I think if you stick to your creative vision, then you're sticking to your individuality. And that means that you are contributing in a way that no one else can contribute. So you need to understand that you are unique and that you, you are the only one who can offer what you can offer. (laughs) Well,
1: Thank you, Angela, for this whole episode. Like, I feel like it's one that I have to like, even me personally, like I'm going to have to like re-listen to over and over again for that reminder that like you're the one in most situations that's limiting you Mm -hmm. and i would love to know how we can keep in contact how my audience can keep in contact with you and all of your creative
0: endeavors yeah so um the website for my company hollis house is literally hollis.house h-o-l-l-i-s dot house um, my Instagram is, whenever I have to say my Instagram, I'm like, okay, like this is such a ridiculous Instagram handle. <laughs> like, going but my ridiculous, my, my Instagram handle is lessons. So to spell that, it's S-C-R-U-M-T-R-U-L-E-S-C-E-N-C-E. But I love that name. I don't think I'll ever change it, even if someone tells me like, hey, you need to have a more professional name. Like, why don't you just do Angela Hilario? I'm like, oh, that's so boring. That's no fun. <laughs> I know, right? Woo-woo! Thank you. Thank you. This is so
1: much Well, that was it, y'all. That was my friend Angela. I hope you have gotten so, so, so much value because even listening back, going through the editing process, I have still found beautiful, wonderful gems throughout this podcast. Angela just brings a lot of light and a lot of hope and has definitely warmed my heart with this podcast. So again, big thank you to Angela. And I hope y'all got as much value out of it as I did. And I hope y'all have a wonderful day, night, wherever you are. And don't forget to be bold, be brave, be wonderful, be you. And I will catch you on another episode on Ambitious.